Gateway. Happy Sunday. Kyle here. Well, these are unprecedented times in the life of the church, are they not? I mean, never have we been pressed like this before. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. And it's not to dismiss the day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week events that, that press us hard, uh, loss in our life and our community. But rather, it's to say that in the season of, of the novel coronavirus that all of us are pressed. And really, all of us are at some level, some stage of grief. Some of us are frustrated, we are angry. Some of us are saddened. And yet, all of us are moving toward this place of accepting the reality of life amidst COVID-19. That life is now forever a little bit different. And so a place that I want to start us today is this place of gratitude. That is to say that there is a hope to be had in this season. And the hope is not in flattening the curve. The hope is not in a cure. The hope is in the presence of Jesus. And so if you will, join me as we pray a prayer of thanksgiving a prayer of gratitude to index our hearts toward gladness and thankfulness today. So join me as we pray. Father, we come to you and really we just, we say we have no control. Try though we do and we will um, help us um, to just lay at your feet all the stuff that we have. And we thank you, God, that you receive that. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you, Jesus, are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that you are the one who can restore our hope. You, Jesus, are the one who draws near to the brokenhearted. You, Jesus, are the one who binds up the broken. You, Jesus, are the one that we need. And so we thank you that you have come near to us. Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you draw us to yourself through the power of your word, we pray. Amen. So this past week, um, there was this little line that got my attention. And it wasn't a byline or a headline, but it was a line from the scriptures, specifically a line from the Apostle Paul in his letter to this church in Ephesus, a letter that uh, was meant to be circulated in the life of the church and a letter that really has a lot of relevance for us today. And this little line is in Ephesians chapter five and it, it goes like this. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time. And that little phrase is what got my attention, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, in, in just this little line, Paul, he's, he's saying that the church must be a community that cultivates wisdom on one hand, and avoids foolishness on the other. In other words, we must be a community that makes the best use of our time. And I think that uh, this little line got my attention because this past week, we, we 
recognize that these times, this present moment is filled with weary saints in need of God's rest. And that that place of true rest is Jesus himself. That God literally made time for us and that Sabbath, this place of rest, of appealing to Walter Brueggemann, <laughs> is like this cathedral in time. It's this not quite physical but very real space where we enter into God's presence to be refreshed and renewed by our Jesus. You know, Sabbath is where we cease from our work. It's where we hand it over in trust to God that he will provide for us. It's where we enter into his rest. It's where we feast in the presence of God. We receive the good gifts from the good gift giver. It's where we worship him. We actually delight ourselves in God. And the fact that he delights in us is portion. This is what Sabbath is. But I think it would be naive of us to think that this is everyone's natural conclusion about rest in general and Sabbath particularly. See, for example, uh, I just I caught myself thinking about rest and Sabbath this past week as I was trying to pay attention to, uh, well, what, what am I thinking about this? And I realized that I, I want to rest like an American. Here's what I mean. I want to win the Sabbath. And I know that's like a almost silly thing to even hear myself to say. Um, but the impulse that I have there, the impulse to win at the Sabbath necessarily means that if I win, someone else loses. And as natural as that impulse may feel for me to win at the Sabbath, this really American impulse, um, it's simply not aligned with the generous God to whom I go to meet in this cathedral of time, namely the Sabbath. And so today, the invitation, the invitation for me, the invitation for you, really the invitation for all of us is to take our collective longings to Jesus, mixed though they may be, <laughs> and ask that he give us a vision. Ask that he help us to see what it really means to be human and rest. And ask Jesus for a vision to upend our impulses even and to lead us to a place of true rest. And so without further ado, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip or tap your way on over uh, to Mark chapter 2. And uh, we can start in verse 23. And this is what we read. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. This is talking about Jesus, Mark is. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? See the little picture right there is that Jesus is with his disciples kind of just on a stroll. And they're plucking heads of grain and they're rolling them in their hands to get the kernel of grain and they're eating them. And to clarify, if the Bible is new territory for you, there's two things that really stand out in this. Uh, first, is there's no law against snacking on the Sabbath. You see, the Ten Commandments, uh, which house this law concerning the Sabbath, they don't say anything about snacking. It simply says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, because God worked six days in creation and then rested. That's it. That's all that it says. But the problem, or really the tension, if you will, is that 
both work and rest can be a little bit ambiguous. I mean, it's a beautiful thing how freeing that command is, is just remember, keep it holy. That's it. But amidst that freedom, this tension emerges of, and really these thoughts start to creep in, well, what if I accidentally work? I mean, I, I, exercising is life-giving, but what if in God's eyes that's actually work? Or, or my goodness, doing dishes, is that permitted? Or if I love gardening, can, can I garden? Like these, these questions start to seep into the conscious of the Hebrew people around this law. And so this is our second reflection. You see, these questions are nothing new at all. And what came together over the years, even leading into the time of Jesus, as these types of uh, questions start to pick up steam, there's these reflections about these questions in relationship to the law of Moses, or what we could call the Torah. And these reflections are bound up in a thing called the Mishnah. And many of these reflections, they're shaped by the very men who are asking Jesus this question about why his disciples are doing what are not lawful on the Sabbath. And now these men, they have this moral vision. It's this robust vision for God's renewal in the world. And it would come by way of the people of Israel, every single one of them living like a priest, submitting themselves to the Levitical laws. And so what they're going to do and what they're going to help uh, the people of Israel move towards this moral vision is they're gonna build a fence around the law. You see, the idea is this, if you don't break the law, then the messianic age will come. And so how can people not break the law? Okay, well, let's just say the law is the edge of the cliff. And so let's just build a fence that like prohibits people from ever getting near that. And now this, this fence is going to be some 1500 commands high. And what's beautiful to me is that it actually starts with this robust vision of renewal, but it quickly devolves into this form of religiosity, it becomes about duty, not to the law even, but duty to these external commands. And that's why we hear the Pharisees coming at Jesus with, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Suffice it to say, this is about Mishnah, not about Torah. And Jesus is pro-Torah, anti-Mishnah. That's why his response comes in in verse 25 like this. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? If you didn't know it, Jesus is actually pretty funny. That's a little bit of Bible sarcasm right there. So he basically just asked Bible scholars if they had read their Bible. And then he uh, calls to mind this obscure uh, teaching, this obscure story about King David to build this biblical backdrop uh, for what he's about to say next. So go with me to verse 27. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then check this line out. So the son of man is a Lord even of the Sabbath. So my guess is, as you're sitting at home, you don't quite feel the weight of this line. But these religious leaders, the ones who Jesus is engaging with, they feel the weight of this line. See, essentially, Jesus is saying, you've lost the plot line. 
See, the Sabbath is about delight. It's not about duty. And we need to just stop here for a moment. The law is not about earning our way to God. It never was. See, the law actually comes after Yahweh, the the creator God, brings the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. In other words, the law and the Sabbath particularly is about what it means to live as a free person. And Jesus is here to remind the Pharisees and us all about that. See, God discloses as an act of grace what freedom looks like. He didn't have to, but he did. It's it's about being in his presence. And I know that we don't have a rich tradition of Sabbath keeping, like running through our veins. And so what we need to hear from Jesus is, is less the emphasis of what he's saying, which is that second line that man was made not for the Sabbath. What we need to hear is that first line, that Sabbath was made for man. And that doesn't mean, ladies, that you are off the hook. Uh, That little word there is is more inclusive. It's uh, this word anthropoids. It's this idea of all people. So think humanity. Sabbath was made for humanity. Sabbath is where we put our theology into practice. You see, if we affirm that God is the God who gives good gifts, then this is where we go to trust him. If your theology is such that that you say God is sovereign, he's in control over all things, then this is where you put your money where your mouth is at. You trust God with your time and your actions. You trust God by giving over your work on the Sabbath. Because this isn't about doctrine. This isn't about duty. Sabbath is about delighting in the present presence of God. It's about entering into his rest. And yet, I think that in this moment, especially when tech is how we're staying connected to one another, we might be at risk of missing this. And I just want to be super careful with my words here and my idealism because often where idealism is, hypocrisy is is close behind. But uh, these little computers in our pockets, as helpful as they are, um, they have alert after alert after update, after news feed update, like it's just a collection of dings and rings, they have become extremely proficient at keeping our attention. And we give our attention to them. And, and they're a helpful tool. And so that's why I want to be cautious here. But I also want to recognize that we live in an on-demand culture. Like right now, your mom or your boss have full access to you. And even if you dismiss their call or their text, there's still a little icon that's reminding you of it. And let's say you take a day off. Perhaps today is that day. Well, the emails are still coming in. And even if they're junk, they feel like they're drawing you. Like you you have to clear your inbox. And now maybe you don't have that impulse to, to clear all of the icons off of your screen, of your phone or whatever in, um, help me learn what that is. Please like send me an email. How do you do that? Because maybe I'm a little bit neurotic in that. But my point is this, that especially right now, we might miss the gift of the Sabbath because our attention is elsewhere. And so I think we need to recall Paul's words that we started our time with. We need to be wise and we need to make the best use of the time. And you see, it's not just followers of Jesus 
that are making this case. There's this guy, Pico Ayer, who's fiercely secular, uh, and he's one of the most downloaded TED Talks. And this was six years ago, by the way. But he is making this urgent call for people to slow down and to truly live. And the, the irony of the call that uh, Ayer makes is that the goal is not just to be with ourselves. Like the goal of slowing down is that is to be with Jesus. And if we're honest, this moment is a frantic moment. And so we do need to know what it is to slow down, but we need something bigger than ourselves. We need something that we can enter into because when our hearts are frantic and they're filling with anxiety, and we're looking to just displace the blame on other people, whether they're young or old. And we, we need something bigger than ourselves to draw us into it. And that is Jesus. And so perhaps this is you. Maybe like Jesus is nowhere in your worldview and you just stumbled across this teaching because of Google or YouTube or the internet or whatever, but you are feeling like the toll of this cultural moment. I just want you to know this. Jesus is calling you to rest in your creator, that your story is bigger than yourself, and that the God of the cosmos is calling you to find your heart's rest in him because your heart will be restless until you find your rest in Jesus. And so be wise, make the most of this time, redeem this time so that you might give back the gift of God's rest that he gives to us. You see, to make this whole point, I just want us to turn our attention to Jesus at the beginning of, of chapter three, verse one. And I'm gonna read through to verse six because Jesus is gonna show us what it looks like to be human on the Sabbath. Again, he, this is Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, these are the Pharisees, to see whether he would deal with him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now the obvious answer is to do good and to save life, but look at their response. They were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. You see, it's so interesting. After Jesus's two line teaching, and his declaration that he is Lord even over the Sabbath, we get this little story about healing on the Sabbath. And what's stunning is that if you stop for a moment and you think about when Jesus does most of his healings, it's actually on the Sabbath. And this word healing itself, it, it comes from the same root as our English word salvation. And the word is soter. And it's easy to think that these are two separate concepts of healing and salvation, but they are not. They come from the same source. You see, for Mark, whenever Jesus is healing, he is doing a saving work. And whenever Jesus is saving, he's doing a healing work. And both of these realities come together 
on the Sabbath for those who are in need. That is the beauty unfolding on the pages of scripture, specifically in our text here today. Because Sabbath is a day blessed by God. It is a day made for us, for humanity, a day of rest for the weary. And we could cover and unpack and unwind all of these little passages, but I want us to notice this in our story. Do the Pharisees see the healing and celebrate with Jesus? Do they see this man stretch out his withered hand and like praise God? No. You see, in the name of self-protection, the Pharisees, they go out and they plot against Jesus to destroy him. And what I want us to notice is that for sure this passage is about the Sabbath, but it's about way more. See, it's, it's a story about the way of Jesus opposed to the way of religiosity. This fence that keeps people in line, keeps people even from the law. A law that is meant to show people what it means to truly live. See, to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was like an institution in and of itself. It was this ironclad rule, never to be encroached upon, never to be broken. But to Jesus, the Sabbath is a time to enact hope and justice because this is what it looks like to be in the presence of God. It is for those who are unwell to be made well. It is for even the dead to be made alive again. See, the religion of the Pharisees, it holds moral reformation over the people of Israel without seeing those people. It holds the the moral reformation as the thing. When God is interested in the people, he wants to bind them up, to pour out his love and life for them. And in a moment, Jesus exposes this. He exposes that the human heart is often turned inward on itself, that it's, it's prone to comparison and it's prone to religiosity. And if you feel tempted, like I was in this text, to like look at the Pharisees and just ask Jesus to get them, this is actually us. See, Jesus unmasks our own religiosity. He unmasks the moments when we stand in judgment over others. Jesus is the judge. He is the one who has the authority to do this, not us. He is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what that means is that Jesus is the one who's here to restore the religiosity of our own hearts. And this, my goodness, this move from duty and self-determination to delight, this is the wonder of the gospel. It is the person of grace, Jesus himself, coming to offer love and compassion and rescuing rest. This is our Jesus. And so this is not a time, church, for us to turn inward. This is a moment for us to extend the grace that God has extended to us in Jesus. And if you're thinking, well, Kyle, like, I have no idea what that looks like. Well, it looks like taking a breath and recognizing that God is the God of rest. See, Sabbath will happen whether you enter into it or not, but it is a gift waiting to be unwrapped by us, church. You see, we can only extend what we ourselves have received. And it's interesting to me that today is the start of Holy Week. It marks the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the day when Jesus is called And the same day, 
the blessed king who comes in the name of the Lord. And he is told by the Pharisees, the one who are asking why his disciples are not doing what's lawful on the Sabbath. They ask him, rebuke your disciples. See, the reality is that Jesus will not forsake us. And I, I think, Gateway, that we need to hear this, that in these present moments, Jesus will not forsake us. See, our, our Jesus took into himself death and sin, and he died to it. Today is the day that looks forward to the ultimate victory that we have in Jesus. COVID-19 may take your body, but it cannot take your rest in Jesus. Because we who stand in and with Jesus, we have the hope of ultimate rest. We have the resurrection hope in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, we enter into the Sabbath, not for religiosity's sake. We enter into the Sabbath so we can start to enact the future in our present. We receive our ultimate rest now. That is a gift. And that gift is not meant just to stop with us. It is a gift that is meant to be given away in love. And so I just think about our medical community around us. They're giving that gift away in love. And, and quite simply, let us pray for them. Let us call out to them. Let us talk to them. Let us hear their grief in this moment. And let us be with them. Let us show them what rest in the presence of Jesus looks like. And so this week, church, may you go. May you be with Jesus. And may you enter into his rest, knowing full well that he has not, that he will not forsake you because his love is never ending and it is always enduring. His is a steadfast love and it beckons you home to come and rest in it. Grace and peace to you. Mm-hmm.